You're listening to an ACCA podcast. My name for people who don't know me is I'm Miriam Kelly. I'm a curator at ACCA and uh, not sure exactly where on my screen she'll be popping up, but Bianca, if you can give a wave. This is my um, colleague at ACCA who works in public programs, Bianca. And we would like to start by acknowledging that we are both speaking to you um, from today from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we'd both like to extend our respects to elders past, present and emerging and to all uh, First Peoples who are joining us today to meet and chat with the wonderful Kat Clark as part of ACCA's book club. And this program, just really briefly, is aligned with our recent and quite exciting project of dis digitising ACCA's past exhibition catalogues so that they are available uh, for review for free uh, via ACCA's website. Um, and we felt that a really great way to celebrate uh, some of the extraordinary writers and thinkers and commentators who have contributed to ACCA's publications over the years would be to check in with them, see how they're going, what they're thinking about, uh, what they've been writing, uh, and talking about the text as well that they've contributed. So Kat Clark, of course, contributed uh, the fantastic story, The Road Trip, to the publication that accompanies the exhibition, A Lightness of Spirit is the Measure of Happiness, which was held at ACCA and curated by the wonderful Hannah Presley, who now works at the NGV. Kat is a Wadjabalak writer, consultant, artist, and curator from the Wimmera, uh, and is a graduate of the RMIT Creative Writing Program. Kat has written uh, for and contributed to programs for Footscray Arts Centre, uh, the Community Kukuri uh, Heritage Trust, Screen Australia, uh, and the Wheeler Centre, and worked with various writers' festivals. As a curator, Kat has most recently worked with the Australian Centre for the Moving Images uh, as a First Nations curator working on the Clever Man exhibition, as well as consulting more widely on First Nations narratives and cultural considerations that are woven throughout uh, the ACME Renew project. As a writer and storyteller, Kat speaks really beautifully about the development of her craft, not only through her university studies, but also alongside learning ways uh, of culture and law and storytelling from her community, from her elders, and the importance of listening, which I think we'll hear today more about. Um, and we are in for a real treat today, as Kat has uh, generously offered not only to speak about the road trip and writing, but to take us on a bit of a journey ourselves to tap into this process of listening and feeling uh, in the development of stories and characters as Kat does so. So Kat, if you're all right, I'll hand over to you. I'll pop myself on mute, uh, but then we can have a bit of a chat once you've um, started your process. No, thank you for the introduction, Miriam, and thank you all for joining um, the session for today. Uh, I'd like to first give an acknowledgement of country as well. Um, I am a guest on country. I'm currently on Wadawurrung country in Ballarat, um, and I'd like to pay my respects to them, um, to elders past and present, but also to the community. Um, and our future generations. I'd also like to acknowledge my own Wachabalik mob ancestors, um, elders past and present as well, who are from the Wimra, um, and, you know, uh, as well as your own, I guess, your own walks of life and your own ancestors and your own families who, you know, are past, present, and your future generations as well, because we've all come from all different walks of life and we all have different upbringings and backgrounds and I think it's very important to acknowledge that and to remember that um, there's a long history behind us to where we are today and a lot of those people have made us who we are today. So um, 
yeah, I'd like to pay my respects to them as well as my own and to all First Nations. Um, I guess about the session, what today would be is, yeah, really about talking about the text, uh, the road trip, but also unpacking the idea of what it means to be Indigenous and tell Indigenous story, tell, you know, stories. But at the same time, it's how do you implement these in in your own writing and how can you adapt them? So even if you're non-Indigenous, um, it's also about how you can use these tools as your own to help you with the Western techniques that we have today in storytelling. Um, another thing I guess this session is about is really connecting to everyday life and how we can implement these sort of um, skills into everyday life and how we appreciate them more, more and become more aware of them. Um, and I guess what I'm really talking about is our memory and our sensory. Um, so a lot of Indigenous storytelling relies upon memory and sensory. And I think um, after I do the reading, um, I'll go through and unpack those sort of six, I count six sensories <laughs> um, that we have. And um, also, we'll go through, you know, what triggers and how do we, you know, how do we tell what those are that trigger? Um, and how do we best deal with them as well? And then, yeah, how do we express them in our own words? Um, so for those who haven't read The Road Trip, um, if you have, thank you very much. I appreciate you reading um, my work. Um, it, it takes, I write really mainly from, um, a memory and sensory point of view, but at the same time, it's also to find a connection and a voice with with other people. And, you know, I hope I found, you know, you found a connection with what I write. So I'm going to just read the road trip and then we'll go from there. If there's any questions, feel free to ask. Um, and also, if there's anything that you're uncomfortable with, um, let me know this is a safe space so you know feel free to um, express how you feel and any questions that you may have um, yeah I'm looking for out for your safety as well as my own safety and that's just how we are um, and in in our cultural way it would usually be in a circle where I'd be discussing this with you all but um, at least I can see you I will ask you to turn your screens on if you can um, just out of respect because we do um, like to see each other and everything's very transparent when it comes to doing um, cultural workshops and doing cultural engagement. Um, but if you can't, totally understand. <laughs> so you're not gonna offend me too if you don't. Okay, so the road trip. January, 1996, Ballarat. You better move your mum right now. All right, Mum. Come on, we're already running late, she said. I apologised and climbed into my uncle's 1990 Subaru wagon where my little brother Lee was waiting. Dad was already in the front seat with Mum squeezed in next to him. Turning to smile at me behind his black shades was Uncle Buffa in the driver's seat. Hey, baby girl, look how much you've grown. 
Mum said you were eight and your brother five now. Real little hairy fellas. That's deadly, eh? I smiled. My brother Lee didn't even notice. He was too eager to go, even if he had no clue where we were headed. Uncle Buffer turned the ignition and the wagon roared to life. Rage against the machines, killing in the name, came blaring out of the cassette player. We were on our way down the highway. Beaufort. Punch buggy red, hollered Lee as he gave me a forceful punch in the arm with a giggle. Ow, I said, rubbing the pretend bruises like it hurt, and we burst out giggling. Beaufort was the first town along the way. Boring. No one was around, as usual, just old people. I never saw any other kids. I think they were all vampire kids who only came out at night to play. Mum was busting for the toilet. Pull over, Boof. I want to go to the Jilua. All right, hey, hold your bladder, sis, chuckled, chuckled Uncle Buffer. Dad got out of the car to let Mum run. I never saw her run so quick before. It reminded me of school hurdles. You kids need the toilet, said un asked Uncle. Nah, we're going to play over there, I said, pointing to the playground as Lee and I slid out of the car. Why are we going to Dimmy? Lee asked, watching me tackle the monkey bars. In my head, I was counting one, two, three. Falling to the ground, I felt the bark under my hands and looked up at Lee. Because we have to go to a funeral, I said. Getting up and whip, wiping the bark off my hands. Dad called out for us to get back in the car. Whose? Lee asked as he chased after me towards the car. Granny's, I said, then grabbed Lee's hand and helped him get in the car. Uncle Buford drove down the back streets, avoiding cars, but there were, wasn't any, not really. Dad and Uncle Buffer were having a big conversation about cops and how they were always annoying them. How long were you in there for, brother? My dad asked. For about five years, bruv. Poxy guards always got their big boy pants on. Piss weak, if you ask me, he laughed. Brothers and I just gave them shit all the time, cracked jokes, and they think they were the sweet as with us. Uncle was laughing hard as he spoke. Yeah, <laughs> that's not surprising, brother. It's good you're out now, but. Mum turned to check on us. You two okay? I nodded. Lee and I were under, we're watching, oh, sorry. I nodded. Lee and I were watching the cars and sheep pass us by. Mum smiled and winked at me. Sis, I forgot to tell you we've got to pick up Barney Poppy too, said Uncle Buffer. You're kidding. Poptail. Mum wasn't impressed. Yeah, Ray, she had no other lift and heard about me coming up, so asked if she could hitch a ride. Mum gave him a dead arm and I laughed in surprise. Damn it, Buffer, why'd you go and agree to do to that big-lipped woman for? Yeah, that's our auntie you're talking about, laughed Uncle Buffer. I know, I love her because she's my auntie and all, but the woman always gets me teary and emotional and wants to talk about mum and shit, boof. I just don't want to hear it. Mum lit a cigarette and took a huge puff before passing it to my uncle. I screwed up my face. The smell always made me choke. Kids, you're going to need to keep the windows down once we pick up Auntie Poppy, all right? 
Mum gave us both a can of Coke to drink. Don't worry, sis. She'll be talking about the funeral anyways, said Uncle Buffer. He laughed even more now and I began worrying about who this auntie was. Who's Auntie Poppy? Lee asked. Dunno, she must smell horrible. Lee screwed his face up like me. She was never one to wear deodorant, my babies, said Mum. Does that mean I have to sit next to her, I asked. Yes, baby girl, it does, she replied sympathetically. Do we even have to pick her up? Can't we say the car is full, Mum? I'm only crossing my arms now. That made the whole car laugh. I hate funerals, I mumbled under my breath. Mum gave them eyes, gave me them eyes, and I knew I had to do what I was told. Arat. We sat in the Macca's drive-thru at Ararat. You should next you should sit next to her, not me. You're the youngest, I said to Lee. Eloise, cut it out and leave your brother alone, said Mum. Hey, you kids want Happy Meals? Dad asked. Lee and I nodded. Yes, please. We harmonised and Mum just shook her head. But I don't want to sit next to her, said Lee, with his head down. Okay, if I have to sit next to her, I get some of your chips then, I said. Dad gave us our Happy Meals and drinks. Deal, said Lee and we both shook hands. I grabbed the toy out of the box. It was a mini Jasmine figurine from Beauty and the Beast movie. Yes. Stall. How did Granny die? Lee asked me. Dad said it was because she was old and grouchy. I responded eating a handful of chips. Country music played and I began to recognize where we were. We're coming up to the Sister Rocks, kids, said Dad. Lee and I squashed up against the car door to look at the giant rocks hidden behind the big gum trees. We love the sister rocks. Lee and I could spend days there. It was one of our favourite places. I hated how people would spray paint them and not be polite or look after them. Climbing them made you feel like you were on top of the world and nothing could touch you. You were safe. Uncle Buffer, Uncle Buffer slowed down a little so we could get a look at them proper ways. People were parked there in camper vans and we continued on towards Stall, Dad's home. It was where he was born, so it was special to my brother and me too. As the streets and houses came into view, I looked out the window to all the familiar places I knew and where my nana took us. She was Dad's mum and passed a few years ago. Today was her mum's funeral. I hope Nana's happy with Granny there now. Lee looks sad. So do I, I said, and hugged him. So what time does the funeral start? Asked Uncle Buffer. Meant to be at 12. I've got to be a pallbearer. Granny was a tough old girl. I'm not even sure he's going to be there, Dad said. I wonder why everyone thought Granny was nasty. She was always nice to us. Even our cousins thought she was scary. But whenever Lee and I got to visit her, she would always show us the old porcelain she collected and give us old coins to buy give us gold coins to buy bags of lollies and ice cream from the milk bar around the corner. I loved Granny. Yeah, that's true. Anyways, whereabouts are picking up are we picking up Poptail Buffer? asked Dad. Just at her place. She says she'll be outside when we get there. We turned down a street and stopped outside an old wooden house where their lady was waiting. 
Is that Aunty Poppy, Lee asked. I guess it is, I said. Mum and Uncle got out of the car to give her a big hug and kiss. Something was, something funny was said and they all began laughing before jumping back in the car. The back door opened and Aunty Poppy's head poked in at my brother and me. Hey kids, you got room for your Aunty Poppy there? We moved over and already we could smell what everybody was talking about. Trying not to be rude, I helped her find the buckle to strap into. Lee stuck his tongue out at me cheekily before taking a big breath from the window of fresh air. It wasn't long before we were off again. Store was the last stop before we got to go to the funeral. We were not far now. Dimbula. We arrived at the small church and, dust, and the dusty streets were full of cars already. Inside, I held Lee's hand throughout the ceremony. Dad had finally broken down in tears and I watched Mum console him. Everyone else around me too was crying. I understood now. It didn't matter how mean Granny was to everybody. Family was there. The mob was there in spirit and with love. I knew we'd all do the same again if it were any of one of us. I squeezed Lee's hands harder as the music began to play for Granny. The song was Charlie Pride's Crystal Chandelier and it was hard for us not to all sing along. At first it was just a few voices whispering the words, then slowly the voices got louder and we were all singing together. I never did fit in too well with folks you knew and it's plain to see that the likes of me don't fit with you. So you traded me for the gaiety of the well-to-do. And you turned away from the love I offered you. Oh, the crystal chandeliers light up the paintings on your wall. The marble statuettes are standing stately in the hall. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, no problem. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, so, I guess a lightness of spirit is the measure of happiness. I wrote that story because, as blackfellas, you know, we face a lot of trauma and we deal with a lot of, I guess, hardships and. You know, it's something that is transgenerational. Um, it's something that is with you and you're just born into it without choice. Um, like many of us, we're born into family um, struggles and family issues and even family, you know, um, problems that tend to be our problems as well. And so, you know, um, as blackfellas, we tend to handle that sort of stuff with a bit of humour, you know. Um, and humour has always been our outlet when it comes to dealing with anything, especially when it comes to sorry business or dealing with, you know, the loss of a loved one, we, what we call sorry business. And one of those main things that come with that is also an understanding that, you know, it shouldn't be common, but it is a part of life and it's every day and it's life 
and death and at the same time, you know, we celebrate. We don't actually mourn for long um, in the sense that mourning turns into a into a tears of joy for that person and we celebrate that life of that person and all those memories and all those stories start coming back. And if you've been to funerals, you'll find that you do, you have those conversations and it's about memories and it's about sharing and it's about coming together. And what the road trip really represents is a time in, in my life and my brother's life where we were very young and my great-grandmother, like, like it says in the story, my great-grandmother had just passed and we had already lost her daughter, who's our grandmother, you know, and I was the age of five then um, when my grandmother died. But when my great-grandmother died, I think I was, yeah, around nine, ten, um, around that age. And I guess the hardest thing for that was we had no idea what we were doing that day you know and it was it was really a road trip we had my uncle who just gotten out of prison he'd come along rocked up and picked us up and took us to the funeral and we picked up my auntie along the way and she she did smell <laughs> you know <laughs> so in lightness of of us going to a funeral that was our way of coping with with the idea of it as kids, you know, and I guess as adults as well, the adults like my mum, my dad and my uncle, it was their way of making fun of a really hard day for us because we knew we had to be in a church, we had to sit, we had to do all of those things that come with, you know, that come with having to be a part of, you know, a funeral ceremony and then you know, and the burden that you carry of having to, you know, say goodbye to that person as well, you know, that we don't really want to do or have the burden of. And so at a young age, you know, we understood me and my brother, even at that age, um, the joy in, you know, finding the little moments of laughter that you can make in the bad days. And if you can find one thing that makes you smile, then, you know, life is worth living. And that's what you need to really remind yourself is these are the things that, you know, are the little moments that, you know, hang with us. And that memory of my gran is something that has made me and my brother stronger, but was also our first introduction to my auntie, um, who we'd never met before, and is a memory that, we laugh about still to this day, you know, even though we got, we talk, when we do talk about granny, we also talk about the day of that funeral. So <laughs> it's a family story as well that keeps coming up. Um, so for yourselves, I guess what I really would like you to do is really um, think about memory and sensory and what that means to you. Um, when we think about our sensories, I'm talking about listening, um, which you've just done by listening to me read. Um, smelling, tasting, touch, see. Um, there are the six sensories, but um, I said I had six, but I should have said seven. So I've got seven, <laughs> which is the spirit. 
as well, which is another sensory within us. You're not your body, you are your spirit. And you need to remember that our bodies are only a shell and our spirit is what keeps us in tune and aware. And in the moment, our body is there to keep it contained, I guess, more or less, or give us something to really um, express what the spirit hat is wanting to express at that time um, and communicate with each other as well. <coughs> Sorry. So that's where I'm coming from in terms of spirit. But when I'm talking about listening, you know, my, my elders had always said to me, we're not really listening if, you know, we're not really seeing, sorry, if we're not really listening. And that has always been uh, an ethos that's sort of followed me throughout my life and something that's brought me up. And I think we need to start really listening to how we see things, how people share things. When we tell stories, um, you know, what are those, what, what are you actually getting out of that? Are you listening to what that person is actually saying or are you listening to what that person's actually written, you know, or even in a song and the lyrics? Is it just the beat or are you listening actually to the lyrics, you know, um, or is it both, you know? Some people only listen to the beat a lot of the time or, you know, some people only ever listen to lyrics. Um, so it's about how we you know, truly understand and be able to see just from listening. When we close our eyes and you put yourself in a space, one thing that we do um, when we do our, you know, when we're connecting to life or when we're connecting to the energies around us or the environment, you know, the first thing we always do is listen. And it's just reminding yourself that, there's always something within that that something's telling you as well. So listen is the first part of your sensory. Next would come the smell. That would be your next trigger. So what triggers your smells? What do you think about, you know, when you smell a certain thing? I've got here with me, you know, furs, <laughs> possum, kangaroo, furs, you know, um, and they smell different from each other, even though, you know, they're both animals that actually have fur on them and they're both, you know, skins and they've been burnt on and written on and all of that sort of stuff, you know. So, but they own have, they each have their own unique smell. So even your environment, what are you, what are you smelling when you're entering that place? What does it trigger for you? Does it trigger a memory? that it takes you back to somewhere? Does it trigger something that is, you know, new? Oh, I don't know what that smell is. I want to go find out, you know? Um, is it something that is innocent in a sense that it's so subtle, but it's strong, you know, and it captures you? And it may just be a passing of somebody, you know, or... It could just be something that's in the air, within that area, you know, or it might just be really appalling, like some factory areas <laughs> that really, you know, and polluted, 
as well. So it's about distinguishing, you know, not only listening, but then when you're listening, activating your senses of smelling too. And then that idea of taste, the taste in the air. Do we taste the air? I don't know. People forget to do that, I think, sometimes. I know I do it every time I go home to Dimbula. The first thing I do is the minute I get past Ararat, just heading into stall, that's my country. So the minute I'm there, I wind those windows down so I can smell my country and I can taste it as I'm passing in the car because it's so quick and it's such a quick trip through that where back in the day they walked it, they understood it, they already knew back in those days and that's how we got to think our ancestors you know they walked a lot of these lands before us you know and we just drive them in in a sense without taking a moment to really appreciate it you know that they actually paved those roads people paved those roads to even have us allowed to drive them so there's those sort of things that I'm I'm always thinking about you know and so the things that can also help you with your own journey, I feel anyway, when you're going on your own journey, remember to maybe if you're going on a trip or if you're going home somewhere or if there's a place that you have that's your, you know, special place, um, really take it in. Take it in and see if you can write a self-reflection about it and see what you discover about yourself using your sensories because there's something there that you might learn that you never knew that you had there before um you know you might be wise as well and know but at the same time I feel like you never can know enough about yourself we're always learning about things we're always learning about education as an ongoing process culture for us is an ongoing learning process it's about grounding yourself and it's about really understanding your environment, but it's also listening and tuning in to what energies are around you. So from listen, smell, taste, we have touch. You know, the idea of wanting to feel it. So if you ever get a chance, I would really like you to take your shoes off and to go outside and immerse that in the earth of where you are because your, your feet are your central energy points. They're the main points that touch the earth. They're the first thing that hits the ground and your first connection to your environment and where you are. So it's about understanding what you're feeling when your feet are touching that, you know? Then cleansing, learn to cleanse your feet too because they're special in that sense. You know, I mean, it's a weird thing to hear people talk about feet like that. But, you know, they're special in the way that we look after our spirit and our intu intuition. You know, my mum always says, trust your Koori instincts or trust that Koori voice that's inside you, you know. And that's that, trust, trust it, you know. You've got that little voice that's inside you that's telling you. You've, sometimes it's, you think it's your head or sometimes you think it's your heart. But really, you know deep down that's your instincts telling you, you know, that this is what you need to do or this is something that you want to be a part of or 
that's not going to benefit me. So I don't want anything to do with that, you know, or that person's got really bad energy. I've just get this vibe, you know, and I really don't like that person and I can't explain it, <laughs> you know. So there's things like that or there'll be things like, you know, places that will just draw you and you're drawn to that and you don't know why you're drawn to that place. But maybe you've been there before. You know, maybe your spirit's been there before without you realising that. And when we talk about our spirit, which is the seventh, you know, I'll get into a bit about that and unpack that a bit more. But then after, you know, you go out and you sort of experience and touch those sort of things, you know, actually cleanse and heal yourself too. So fire and water. Fire, think of elements as well are a part of this. Fire is very much a masculine thing, but the smoke is there. It's cleansing. You know, we smoke each, we do smoking ceremonies specifically to cleanse the spirit with the smoke of the gums as well. After that, it's the water and that's feminine. And with our water, we're able to cleanse and wash away our pain and our, you know, scars that are within ourselves but not visible. So it's about having the two of them in balance with each other along with the idea of healing the spirit but also healing others while you're doing it but taking that out of the self as well. So bringing that out and bringing others with you. So it's not just got to benefit you, it's got to benefit everyone. And when we talk about, you know, connecting to everything, all your sensories, that's when you know the spirit is awake. And the spirit is then what we believe, the one thing that holds us with our connection to everything that is around us and everything that is in touch with us. So when I write, you know, I'm painting, but I'm also looking at things. So, you know, I'm, I'm making things. These, I'm painting, you know, doing artefacts. I'm telling stories. I'm, all of this is all in one. And that all makes up what I am as an Indigenous storyteller and as a cultured woman and as a Wachabalik woman as well. And when it comes to those stories, it's about understanding that there's many layers. It's not just a story of some road trip. It's a story that's a part of culture. It has your sensory. It has your taste. It has your smell. It has the idea of listening. You know, it has the spirit in it. It has all of that. And it encompasses, you know, who I am too as as a writer and why I write. I write for my family, I write for my people, but I also write, like I said, to connect with other people like yourselves. Um, so I guess, you know, talking about all of that, the main things I really would like you to do is go through your own sensory triggers. Um, you know, what do they tell you? What do you think of first 
when you when you have them, when you you sit down and you do them, um, and you're trying to get in tune with those senses. You know, how do you implement these into storytelling? You know, think about the best way of how you could tell that story. You know, is it your story to tell or is it someone else's story that you're telling, you know, in that sense? And that is a part of Indigenous storytelling too because we don't claim other stories that aren't ours. We'll always acknowledge that that story's someone else's, you know, but we're telling it. And, you know, if there's anything like an heirloom even, or something in your house that you hold with sentimental value, you know? What does that, why do you hold it for sentimental value? What's the story behind that? Do you know the story behind it? Even with family objects, do you actually know the story behind those family objects? You know, I've got a, uh, I had a leather wallet made by my uncle, um, which I only got after my auntie, my dad's older sister, passed away um, in 2013. And it was a wallet that was my grandmother's. Um, and it was made by her brother while he was in prison, but it's made out of leather. And it's got her name on it. And then it's got on the back a horse on the back carved into it because she loved horses. And that story is, you know, there, but it continues on because it's shared down to that next generation, meaning me and my brother, you know, and my brother now has that wallet because one, it's a leather wallet that's like a man's wallet. So to me, it's a man's item. Two, it's the only thing that he sort of has of his grandmother's that's tangible. He hasn't got anything. Everything else is sort of intangible for him. He was, I was five, he was three when she died. So his memories are a lot more faded. Um, and two, he was the closest to that uncle that made that. So before that uncle died, my uncle Underwood, who made it, he, um, taught my brother how to crack a whip and things like that and would make leather whips and things. So that is the connection there. So it's not only just my nan, it's my uncle for my brother, you know, in terms of family objects. And there's that story behind it you know which I'll write someday as part of our story I will write it one day you know um but yeah it's about how do you you know and why do we rely on the sensory and the memory you know I think for Aboriginal people we rely on it I guess mainly because we think about you know that idea of passing down it's important it's it's understanding that these stories uh, who make up who you are, they make up who your family are, your ancestral lines, you know. Um, it's about identifying that, you know, there may be, you know, sadness and sorrow, but there's also, you know, a sun there, you know, at, and it's going to lighten that day. And that's how I'm always staying positive. I try not to let the negatives get me down because I'm always reminded that, you know, I come from, you know, a, a rich country, 
you know, and it's got a lot of story there and there's a lot of history there and I just have to keep finding it, you know, finding the beauty in that. A lot of us have a shameful past, but at the same time, how do you celebrate that? How do you find the good in the shame? You know, I have, I, I do consultations on books for writers and one writer sent me a book, um, well, sent me a bit of work that she's working on because we're both writing family stories. Um, and she's only just started looking into her family history. And it turns out she's from up my way. So she's from up um, from up the Wimra and just a little bit out near Rainbow. And she's sort of been contacting me because she didn't realise that we were connected. This was the way that we were connected. And I said to her, you're another Wimra girl like me, you know? So we're practically family because we're from the same place. And that's where her family created the town. They were settlers who created a town there. And it's a one, one street town now, which is pretty much dead, you know, and just a whole heap of empty land. But her family's history is there. And unfortunately, her family had involvement in, you know, destruction of my people. So it's sort of funny that we've come face to face now and it's we're working together but in a way I think we're healing those family lines by working together and if anything I'm helping her heal more so than me doing my healing because I feel like I've already done that where she's now looking at it and healing in the play place where she's never wanted to look she's been too ashamed to look so you know if anything, I had to say to her, you know, your family still built that bloody town, you know, and that's something to be proud of still. Our, his, our family, you know, we've got to think of the past as something that's also something that's a, an opportunity for us to, you know, fix. Like, I feel like we're all born for a reason. And it's to right the wrongs of our past in some ways. You know, we can't help the acts. We can't help the eras that those times were. You know, they were the policies and acts that were in place, thanks to government. <laughs> but, you know, those, the way I've healed and the way I feel I've helped others to join that journey with me is to follow that through, you know, and go facing it truth telling understanding you know facing that shame but also sharing it as well I hope that helps <laughs> in some sense but um yeah and it's about rejuvenating the self as well to deal with those barriers you know and your sensory and your memory help with that if we're not willing to face you know, certain things because of a fear or because of a shame, then we're not going to be able to be able to, you know, move on in life. We can't walk together as a United Nations even if we can't and be seen as a real Australian nation. Like I don't see Australia as Australia until the constitution changes and everything else. But you know, as a people, we're doing that already. We don't need the government to tell us what is or what it isn't you know people are, as human beings work together 
to walk those paths, you know, and heal together. And that's what we are doing. And this is what we need to constantly remind ourselves. Like, how are you healing? Am I healing at all? Is there things there that I haven't faced, you know? And use your sensories. Go to that place. Go to that quiet place. Tap into it. It sounds a bit like meditating, but it's not really meditating. It's really around that idea that you are, you know, um, I guess understanding that you are, I guess it's in tune, being understanding and more aware of yourself, your spirit and being in tune of your environment and the energy around you to be able to better deal with things and handle life a lot more better. I just hope, um, yeah, it helps in that sense. So just to wrap up, because I do, if you did have any questions, I'm happy for you guys to ask them. But just to wrap up, I'd like to share a poem that I've written um, just to end it and then we can open up to questions. Sorry, business. The smoke lingers. I smell the eucalypt, white ochre markings to ensure the spirit travels safe. Clapsticks ring out. They echo a sorrow, a beat, in rhythm with the heart. But time has ceased, step by step, one by one, united in a circle, the dance has begun. The dusty earth lifts up a mist while warmth from the coals brings about a sense of grounding. Like a mother's embrace, an unconditional love, Holistic to the being, timed breaths. Woven language in harmony, we heal the spirit. Deep down inside, like a spark of energy, final customs are played out. The spirit resting, dreaming, the body returned to earth. Thank you. So if you do, um, I'm happy for you to uh, put yourselves off mute um, if you want to ask any questions. I hope I didn't bore you <laughs> with anything that I talked about. I hope you sort of did get something out of out of uh, the session. Um, and if there is anything, definitely feel free to um, contact me. Um, I'm happy for the girls to give you my email um, if you would like my email. Um, at all and I'm also if you're a writer and you would like anything reviewed um, I'm also happy to consult with you in that as well um, so yeah I'll open it back up to Miriam um, and anyone who had any questions great look I'll, I will um, open up quickly to anyone with with questions but I guess also Kat I'd love to hear um, a little bit about how your consultations work I know you worked very closely with ACME and we were talking about um, that the other day and the kinds of things that um, you've seen and really enjoyed in that process and I know you've also worked with a lot of writers um, on script consultation and other things so perhaps maybe a little bit we've heard you know beautiful things about um, the way that you write um, but that part of the process I'd love to hear a little bit more about. Um, yeah sure so when I talk about um, my consultations people usually come to me because they're not sure you know, what's culturally appropriate or what's, 
you know, what's protocol in a sense of understanding or even identifying, you know, knowing where you're going, you know, you can't just make up a tribe. So you've got to be able to identify that mob and talk about that mob or when it's just writing about the Australian landscape, even, you know, um, understanding that that's where I talk about the sensories and tell people to go out there and experience that, you know, actually do that, right. Do, do that drive that you're talking about or go to that mountain or something like that, because it's the only way that they're ever going to actually understand that connection that we talk about. Um, and with my consultations, you know, I usually, whether it's a script, um, a book, um, a play, you know, um, it, it, my sort of idea, the way I consult is I'll provide that feedback, but I'll also provide comments um, as well to your work um, and the work that they do. But I'll also, yeah, do a feedback form, which is then um, also... Um, puts in that extra bit of paperwork, I guess, for people to be able to say whether or not, you know, um, they've had that sort of as a thing to show that they've, they've had consultation with an Aboriginal person because <laughs> sometimes some organisations ask for that, you know, especially if you're writing about Indigenous stories. And the only thing I can really suggest in um, doing that um, is mainly because, well... The main reason of doing it is because that's protocol for our way. We don't believe in um, stories being told about us without some sort of consultation first. A lot of the time we get brought into projects at the end of the project. Um, if you have any work that you're working on or if there's anything that you're wanting to um, you know, engage in or wanting to link into, you know, certain communities then consultation needs to happen first you know if it's something that you want to write about or you know want to work with if you want to work with community and things like that um yeah you can't I guess yeah and then it's really up to you you could write the story or you could ask for an Indigenous writer as well so that's the other stuff so I work on scripts and you know I'm like a um I'm a script advisor as well where I'll advise on those scripts and I'll write change dialogue or change actions or things like that that just make it more authentic um but yeah all of that sort of comes with the consultation process and you know at the end of it you get that endorsement or you don't <laughs> you know <laughs> and you can keep sending that feedback and I'll keep asking you though if you don't get endorsed straight away then that's where I'll keep asking you to send me some of this stuff to help you at least edit, work on your work before you take it to a funding body or, you know, a publisher or something like that or before you even let the world see it. So, yeah, it's about those consultations are what are in place. There's not many of us out there doing it because a lot of us are working on our own works and a lot of us have done it for years and have feel like you know the time has come to just move on and do their own work which is respectfully right in their own right um and I'm someone who's uh more like a people person so or 
I don't want to say they're not people person either because they are, but it's more or less I'm someone who opens doors and brings people together. So, but I'm also at that door, you know, keeping it closed because, you know, my community and the safety of my community and my people comes first. So if I don't think, you know, um, those people who come to us, I guess, asking certain things, if there's not you know, a good sense around it, like a good um, genuine thing around that and rationale um, as to why you want to work with us, then I guess, you know, we, we get a little suspicious. So it's about, it's about being honest and transparent with us and, you know, um, yeah, anything that can help in that sense, you know, help you better with your work and further your work. That's so important, Kat. And I think what's really nice is that exactly what you've just been saying has been reflected in some of the comments that have popped up in the chat over this. Yeah, I can, I've just opened them. Being Thank eloquent you and much. kind and generous. And I think that's really reflected in how you work um, with people. And also uh, I will open up to other questions, but um, yeah. if there's anyone else who wants to ask something, otherwise I might wrap up with a finishing up. Yeah, Deidre. Yes. Hi. Hi. I'm I'm um, listening in from London. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, because I had Tony Birch here uh, last year to speak, and Brooke Andrews coming over. So, you know, trying to develop connections with Indigenous people in the heartland of what caused it all. It's um. Yes. I, I wondered how your work, because it's really really difficult to get Indigenous stories into this space but yeah. they need to, they need to travel because there's consequences and they need to be faced and there's centuries of them and I just wondered you're you know hearing your generosity as ever indigenous writers and uh, artists are so generous always unquestioningly I just wonder when you thought about that part of the world that I'm currently in yeah <laughs> um, yes I don't come from here um yes what what's your reflection on that kind of translation, I suppose, it's almost needed. Um, have you sort of thought about the way in which your work might travel over to those sorts of spaces? Um, more, in some ways, yeah, I, I have, because, you know, um, my great-grandmother who I wrote about in that story is actually German, so she's not exactly Aboriginal. Um, she's, you know, she's... German, Welsh, and that connection is then connected to our um, our missions where the Moravian church had come in and took over Ebenezer and created Ebenezer where I'm from, which is the mission there. And so I've always wondered about writing about that and always wanted to, well, had hoped that it could reach out to those areas to then find those connections because they're family connections that have history on my people and they may even have documents, you know, on my people and I'd like to open those communications and meet with them and, you know, I hope in a sense that it helps heal those lines across the seas because it's like, you know, um, it's, it's, it's not beforehand it was always like you don't talk about it or you don't see it or, you know, you just don't say anything really yeah like you don't talk about it so 
you know, um, but these days it's it's more about, you know, we need to ask these questions. We need to find those ancestral lines. We need to journey. We need to travel and have those conversations, you know, and we need to face our past as well and what our past has come, where our past has come from, because if we don't face the past, then how are we facing ourselves and where we are now in, the, in our current, you know, journey where we're at? So, yeah, I've always wanted to, I've always wondered and I've always wanted that, you know, to travel. And I guess, you know, um, I'm, I'm pleased, you know, and, you know, I'd love to see it go further even in that sense. I'd like to bring it even to where I write eventually write something like the next roots um you know because that's the dream and I feel like it needs to be told from an Australian perspective an Australian Indigenous perspective more so yeah thank you no thank you Are there any other questions Kat, I'd love to hear, um, you've spoken beautifully uh, previously about finding solace in the imagination um, and imagining a better world. Um, I'd love to know what you're hopeful for at the moment. Um, I guess the first thing I'm really hopeful for is to have children that will, you know, um, learn language. You know, language is something that is an identity for so many other cultures, yet we don't have it, you know. Um, I feel like it's there but it's written by white people, so how do we really know that those are those words even sometimes? So there's always a, you know, an, un, an unsurety on language when it comes to Aboriginal languages and there's so many Aboriginal languages, I don't know how we can reclaim all of them because so many have already been lost. I mean, we had more than 38 to 40 in Victoria alone. And, you know, that's all that's only documented at this stage. But, yeah, it's about, you know, even having my, to where my grandkids, you know, will eventually speak fluent to me. So that passing on generations. So I'll teach my kids Hopefully my kids will learn it enough to teach their own and have them speak it yeah, fluently, you know, and that be their first language. And then that's that identity coming back. You know, that's how we claim our identities through our language. And, you know, on top of all our cultural values and things, traditions that we have as well. But, yeah, language is a very strong one and what I'm hopeful for. I guess what I'm also hopeful for is a... Um, more for a future where we're not, you know, um, confined to labels and government terminologies. I feel like uh, society tends to adopt them a lot more um, than they should sometimes. And we do it un unnoticed, you know, we do it without thinking unconsciously sometimes because these are the words that they throw out at us, you know, but it's about how do we change the language within that and how we speak to each other? How do we address, e you know, address each other, talk about each other? Um, and who we are as an Australian nation, I, I'm so against 
what true blue is. I'm so against, like, what is true blue? What is, you know, that patriotism and nationalism? And I feel like it's a very white one. And unfortunately, it's not inclusive of all other cultures that make up Australia. And Australia is not just built on the backs of Aboriginal and the deaths of Aboriginal people. It's built on the backs of, you know, immigrants as well. And people who have travelled to make a new life for themselves and, you know, refugees as well. And I just feel like those are the voices. That's our constitution. I, my dream of a bit of Australia is a voice that incorporates every nation that is represented in this country, but takes at least, you know, one to five even values that come from those countries, you know, and then that makes up our constitution because that's the values and what we feel as Australia, as a united nation. And we are lucky to have what we have here and to share with the many diverse cultures. So I feel, yeah, if, if we really want an Australian future, that is our Australian future, you know? I mean, we're living it now and it just needs to be recognised and written, documented, <laughs> you know? Not like the white Australian policy. I mean, if they're good enough to do a whole white Australian policy, I mean, you, you could have an Australian United Nations. I mean, I don't see why not, <laughs> you know, and representatives from, from those, you know, like you need that. Just like we need treaties in every Aboriginal community. You can't just have one treaty that will fit a whole group of Aboriginal people. We all have our different rules. We all have our different customs, you know, we're different depending on the land mass area. So... You know, I'm freshwater mainland, but then the ones on the other side of the Grampians are coastal, you know, and that's different food diets, different lifestyles all over again, different environments, you know. So you can't have one treaty that's going to suit all. Same way you can't have one constitution that just fits all, you know. There's things there that need to change and I feel like, you know, we we are the ones that can make that change, not government. We as human beings and people, you know, that are willing to heal and walk together can make that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Look, Kat, thank you so much. Please, everyone, join me in thanking Kat Clark for your incredible <laughs> generosity tonight. Um, no, yeah, thank you. Silently clapping on Zoom. That's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Um, no, thank you. Thank Just, you so much. It was, yeah, very worthwhile. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was beautiful. Thank it was, um, yeah, I was running around in the shambles, like trying to finish off like last minute things and jumped on at five past five. And yeah, it was really, really worth my hour of my day on yet another Zoom, but it was really beautiful. So thank you so much. And it didn't no. feel like a Zoom. It was like the first one in a long time and I felt really warm and I felt myself noticing that so yeah fantastic and that's what I was hoping you would feel you know and yeah, oh. so you can at least walk away feeling at least a little bit of energy or a little bit of spirit from me you know and a little bit of hope for the world and the future <laughs> then I'm happy you know and I'm with you in unity you know and remember we walk together so yeah no thank you for joining <laughs> And should you feel like listening to this again or, or sharing it, um, it's been recorded as a podcast 
that will be available on Acker's SoundCloud along with the other book clubs. And you mentioned Tony Birch, Deidre. We had Tony Birch speaking last week. So you can catch up, uh, sorry, a fortnight ago, you can catch up on that conversation and other great chats that we've had with really lovely and generous writers. So thank you again so much. Uh, and feel free to also uh, access the publication with Kat's fantastic road trip story via Acker's website. Thank you, everyone. See you guys. Have a great night. Stay safe.